You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. There's more fishing around the Arabian Gulf, but it doesn't look local. Reactions to Brazil's indictment of Glenn Greenwald. The forensic report on Jeff Bezos' smartphone has emerged and the UN wants some investigating. Microsoft discloses an exposed database now secured. Ransomware gets even leakier. If it hits you, assume a data breach. And Windows 7 is going to enjoy an afterlife in software Valhalla. You know, around Berlin. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, January 23rd, 2020. There are some developments in the phishing campaign observed against Arabic-speaking targets last week. Researchers at Cisco Talos late last week posted an analysis of Jonrat. They noted its unusual staged deployment, its focus on Arabic-speaking targets, and the fact that it appeared to be custom malware, not a commodity attack tool. This morning, deep learning firm Blue Hexagon published a description of a phishing campaign that appears to be prospecting targets in the Gulf Cooperation Council, using Iranian news focused on the death of General Soleimani as fish bait. The countries of interest include Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, and the United Arab Emirates. The payload was what Irfan Asrar, head of cyber threat intelligence and operations at Blue Hexagon, characterized as a highly modularized remote access Trojan. It made clever use of public resources, including at least one major digital marketing firm. Asrar believes the campaign is the same one Talos identified, but that it's adopted a different set of themes. The presence of Iranian news as fish bait might suggest an Iranian threat actor, but Blue Hexagon believes Iran can be ruled out. They've found code similarities with attack tools previously deployed by what Blue Hexagon characterizes as East European threat actors. Thus, the Iranian themes are both attractive to targets in regional rivals and serve as a useful false flag as well. Brazil's indictment of Glenn Greenwald continues to attract negative reactions in the press, which see it as a threat to journalists everywhere, as in effect amounting to a criminalization of their interactions with their sources. A New York Times editorial published Tuesday is a fair representative of general media opinion. While some interactions with sources can be criminal, this seems a very long stretch indeed in the case of Greenwald. Support for the indictment does appear in the comments sections of some of the articles that describe the indictment. Those anti-Greenwald commenters, for the most part, object to what they assess as Greenwald's political animus against Brazil's populist president, Bolsonaro. But claims that interactions with sources can amount to criminal conspiracy seem less of a stretch in the case of Julian Assange. Greenwald himself has suggested that the U.S. charges against the WikiLeaks proprietor did foreshadow the charges Greenwald now faces in Brazil. 
but few in the media appear to agree, seeing the two cases as significantly different. Assange isn't charged with just talking to people or advising them to keep things on the QT. He's accused of active cooperation in accessing non-cooperating systems. But a lot of websites run by pro-Assange activists and others of like mind are with Greenwald on this one, saying, in effect, see, we told you so, and by the way, free Assange. The UN has asked the US to investigate the spyware incident involving the phone belonging to Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, The Guardian reports. Motherboard has obtained a copy of FTI Consulting's forensic report on the device and notes this conclusion. Bezos's phone was compromised via tools procured by Saud al-Qahtani. Motherboard describes Saud al-Qahtani as a friend and close advisor to Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. He was also president and chairman of the Saudi Federation for Cybersecurity, Programming and Drones, and was known to procure offensive hacking tools on behalf of the Saudi regime, among them tools made by the Italian company Hacking Team. The forensic investigation used a Celebrite UFED 4PC Ultimate and Physical Analyzer to inspect the phone's contents, but they apparently were not provided the encryption key. Some experts consulted by Motherboard note that the investigators may not have got the root access they needed to fully inspect the phone, since good state-sponsored malware wouldn't betray itself by appearing in backup files. NSO Group's Pegasus tool has been the usual suspect, but the basis for that conclusion, while convincing to many, remains largely circumstantial. The forensic report doesn't say it found Pegasus. It simply notes that Pegasus could have been used— and that it's also possible hacking teams Galileo might have been used. As the report puts it, advanced mobile spyware such as NSO Group's Pegasus or hacking teams Galileo can hook into legitimate applications and processes on a compromised device as a way to bypass detection and obfuscate activity in order to ultimately intercept and exfiltrate data. The success of techniques such as these is a very likely explanation for the various spikes in traffic originating from Bezos's device. Comparatech found five Microsoft Elasticsearch servers exposed online on December 29th. Microsoft secured them over the next two days and disclosed details of the incident yesterday. The data were held in a customer service database. Some 250 million records were exposed. Comparatech says Microsoft was quick to respond when notified, and Microsoft has given Comparatech a nice tip of the hat in its own disclosure. Redmond says that it follows standard redaction procedures for the information stored in such databases and that in this case most of the records appear to have been redacted in accordance with company policy. Nonetheless, Microsoft goes on to say, quote, While the investigation found no malicious use, and although most customers did not have personally identifiable information exposed, we want to be transparent about this incident with all customers and reassure them that we are taking it very seriously and holding ourselves accountable, end quote. The company plans to take four actions immediately. First, it will audit the established network security rules for internal resources. Second, it will expand the scope of the mechanisms that detect security rule misconfigurations. Third, it will add additional alerting to service teams when security rule misconfigurations are detected. And fourth, it will put additional redaction automation in place. And it recommends that everyone else who owns a database that could be exposed inadvertently to check to ensure that it's properly secured and not hanging out there open to inspection. 
A ransomware infestation must now be considered a data breach until investigation proves otherwise. Bleeping Computer notes that both Mays and Sodunukibi are now leaking data belonging to victims who failed to pay up. Dark Reading writes that organizations are increasingly disposed to pay. Whether they're fueling a bandit economy has apparently become less important than suffering the double whammy of business disruption and then the regulatory odium of a data breach. And they're making the business decision that paying the ransom is cheaper. The insurance industry has also twigged to the new reality. It's getting more expensive to transfer the risk of ransomware, as U.S. underwriters generally are raising premiums for their coverage. Reuters reports increases amounting to as much as 25%. Hey, 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 have you heard? Dracula has risen from the grave. Because you just can't keep a good man down. No, not not really. Just, anyway. Take it from Uncle Dave, kids. There's no such thing as vampires and revenants and zombies and stuff. But there is such a thing as software that's beyond its end of life. What's risen from the grave already is Windows 7. The old operating system may have gone west, but what ho, it's going to enjoy an afterlife courtesy of the German government, which apparently just can't quit it. Berlin will pay Redmond 800,000 euros in 2020 for extended security updates for the roughly 33,000 PCs still running Windows 7, reports say. We hesitate to speculate about the number of IoT devices around the world that will also keep Windows 7. Those are inherently much harder to update. And seriously, kids, we're sorry if we scared you about the vampires. Uncle Dave is bad. No, really, there are no such things as vampires, just retired versions of the Windows OS. (laughs) Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. Quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, 
Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Tom Etheridge. He's the VP of Services at CrowdStrike. Uh, Tom, it's always great to have you back. Um, you know, you and I, in a previous conversation, we were talking about the 11060 concept of uh, responding to incidents and how how much timing matters. And one of the things that struck me in our conversation was that it seems to me that in order to respond quickly, you have to practice ahead of time. It's that old practice-like-you-play thing from sports what sort of insights do you have for us when it comes to that? So, Dave, your comments are spot on. Um, muscle memory is a concept that we talk to clients about consistently in terms of being able to test over and over an organization's ability to respond to a cyber incident should one occur in their environment. Um, it's really important to validate or test out uh things like your incident response uh, guide or playbook, making sure that you understand which key stakeholders in the organization need to be engaged during an incident, what type of legal support you'll need, what type of communications and PR support you might need should notifications and reporting uh, be required, and understanding really how to optimize and improve all the elements of a, a cyber response. You know, it strikes me that um, kind of like uh, how I really wish I went to the gym more than I do, that you know, everybody has best intentions. When it, and I think this is a, an area where I can imagine it being easy for some organizations, despite having those best intentions, that this sort of practicing is an easy thing to push aside. Do you have any recommendations for organizations to make sure that they're keeping up with this, make sure that it's, it stays on the schedule? Certainly. One of the techniques that we use here at CrowdStrike is we we offer a retainer service to our clients that can flexibly be used for all of the service offerings that we offer to help customers prepare and test out their uh, incident handling capabilities. Techniques such as red teaming and adversary emulation exercises where we can mimic uh, threat actor uh, tactics and techniques and really test out whether an organization has the defenses to be able to detect that, understand what's going on quickly and be able to respond in an efficient manner is is something that we offer as part of that retainer service. And many of our clients actually schedule regular red team or pen testing exercises to ensure that they're up to speed and that their application lifecycle includes the right kind of security controls to make sure that they're Uh, able to detect and prevent these breaches from happening. Tabletop exercises are another great way to bring in other stakeholders from across the organization, not just the IT organization or the security team, but to bring in the legal team, the PR and the communication staff, to bring in other key executives into the, the incident handling process to make sure that everybody's aligned and on board and that there's not finger pointing or uh, balls being dropped when uh, an incident really does happen. Hmm. 
Yeah, I can imagine also that when you've made that investment or even uh, you know engaging with an outside company like you all at uh, CrowdStrike, that um, once that investment is made and and uh, you know your folks are are on the calendar and coming, I mean that sets up a situation of a, a different level of commitment than uh, perhaps if someone was just trying to do it all in house. Absolutely, uh, we work pretty hand in hand with clients to build a roadmap for how they can plan these types of activities and events throughout the course of their calendar year. It's also a great way to continue to drive investment uh, from the leadership of the organization, even the board of directors around pointing out areas where improvements need to be made, focusing investment dollars into the right right areas so that uh, the organization has a, a plan for how they're improving their overall maturity and ability to be prepared for these types of events. All right. Well, Tom Etheridge, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.